Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the G2V Podcast, and I'm one of your co-hosts, Arnold T. Blumberg, and I'm joined, as ever, all the way across the nation by my co-host, Scott Woodard, all the way from Portland. Well, we have another great interview for you in this episode. We've invited someone who has spent a great deal of time researching and producing material related to the whole history of horror cinema, including some of the most well-received documentaries on some of the great horror franchises that we're all fans of, love so many of these movies, and I have sort of a personal reason or two for being aware of him, and we'll talk about that as we move forward, but first we wanted to introduce him and welcome him to the show, so welcome Anthony Massey. Hey, thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. Now, tell us a little bit about, you got started with Massey Media, and if everybody wants to check out the website, they can see at MasseyMedia.net, that's M-A-S-I-M-E-D-I-A.net. And if I remember correctly, you started the company in 2006, is that right? Yeah, the, the company actually got started then, but I started doing my first documentary actually a couple years before that. And I started the company because of the documentary, that was my Halloween documentary. So it said that, that took three years to make. <laughs> so I figured uh, just uh, because there was an agreement with, Trankus Films, they own the uh, Halloween series, and Anchor Bay, I needed a company, so I started Massey Media. So, well, let's dial it back then. So what actually got you started? What brought you into the world of documentaries and particularly focusing on the horror genre? Well, it was an accident. You know, I look back on it and I actually wonder if it was an accident now. Um, but I didn't set out to create uh, any kind of documentary. All I wanted to do was put on a big party for Halloween fans, <laughs> and what I ended up doing, that's all I wanted to do, that's it, and I stayed here before you today as a producer because of, of that, because what happened in 2002, um, I got hired by the uh, producers of the Halloween films, the executive producer of the Halloween films, uh, to run their website, because I had a fan website called the Myers Museum that I used to run back when I lived in New Jersey in the late 80s, and what that was was a website that showcased all of my Halloween memorabilia. So I was I re- big. I, re- I remember that site. I do remember that remember site. That, you know, I'm shocked when people say, oh, my God, the Mary's Museum. I remember that. Yes. But, it, yeah, I, it's, I, first of all, thank you for remembering that. <laughs> uh, it was a late profile. Um, and the, what happened was I was an avid collector of, you know, just ho- like Halloween's, very specific Halloween movie memorabilia. I really didn't collect memorabilia for any other horror movies. But for Halloween, I started discover started to discover that in other countries, the artwork for the posters was different, you know. And it's not just like this for Halloween; it's like that for a lot of movies. Like the Japan Halloween poster is just gorgeous, you know. It's creepy and it's very Japanese, you know. So I started collecting, but I wanted to learn HTML, like website design as well. So I bought this book on web design. And then figure, well, I need content. So I started building a website to showcase all the memorabilia that I had. I went around my apartment taking pictures of everything. <laughs> and um, 
I worked on it every single day. Well, what I found out was that I was building a fan base. Fans started to discover it. And before I knew it, I had thousands of people that were visiting my site every day. And then I, I would try to buy something from eBay every day. And it became this annoying addiction. But at the same time, it was like, it was super fun. So anyway, um, so what happened was in 2002, I ended up, the old webmaster for HalloweenMovies.com uh, was sort of stepping down. from. He just no longer wanted to do it. But he knew about my site. So he recommended me to... And there were a bunch of Halloween sites out there, but they recommended sure. me because he said, oh, you update it, you know HTML, you know this, you know that. And so they sent me to the Halloween 8 premiere. And I was living in San Diego at this time, and the premiere was up in L.A. And they sent me there to cover my first Halloween premiere. And, of course, it was Halloween 8, like the worst movie in the series. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on so record as actually kind of liking that one, so I guess what <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, it was like a big deal for me, and and then and I met Mustafa Akkad, and who uh, was the, you know he's no with us, but but I met him, and and long story short, they ended up hiring me um, to run HalloweenMovies.com. But at the same time, right before they hired me, I started this campaign to create a, a convention called uh, it was called Halloween Returns to Haddonfield, and it was the first time that all of the actors and producers got together actors, writers, directors, producers, anyone that we could get from the Halloween films together for one themed horror weekend, especially for Halloween. And it had never been done before. And so what I thought was going to be a big party for a bunch of Halloween fans, maybe a hundred people in a ballroom, turned into a couple thousand people filling the Pasadena Convention Center. And um, what happened was we filmed it. And then when, as we're filming it, we're thinking, oh, we could tell the story of how Halloween sort of, be, you know, it, Halloween is, it's, it's a phenomenon. And it, you know, it's sort of, it ushered in modern horror. I always say this. It's like without Halloween, you wouldn't have Freddy and Scream. You wouldn't have um, Jason or any of those people. So what, what ended up happening was we ended up filming the Halloween convention. And then we cut a documentary. And that's how I got into producing because... I realized I was a very good producer and I loved it. And I loved all of the aspects of it. Like I didn't even know there's like a, a color correction step, you know, in my, <laughs> in my, I didn't realize that, you know, that's how green I was, but right. that's, that's how, so I answer your question in a long way. I didn't set out to become a producer. I think a lot of people do now. There's a lot of people that, that are like, Oh, I want to do what you're doing. And then, you know, but that wasn't me. I literally just sort of fell into it. And then I know I'm just taking up all the time talking. <laughs> no, that's that's what you're um, here for. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but anyway, that's basically what what got me started, and so I formed my company in 2006, and so that's that's pretty much how it happened. Now, what was the 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 one that you're talking about? That Halloween piece. What was that? The title of that one then, when it was complete, that first one. So the convention was called Halloween Returns to Haddonfield, and then when we released the documentary, Anchor Bay released it, and we called it Halloween 25 Years of Terror. That's what and it did they was do that called. as part of it? Well, they released it a couple times. They have it in a – it was a standalone DVD. It was a two-disc DVD. It had like four hours of bonus features. Um, it never saw Blu-ray. Like that's how, that, that's how quickly things changed. I mean it only came out in 2006, so it was only eight years ago. But it never got a Blu-ray release from my understanding. And we shot it on, you know, cameras 
like now all my documentaries are digitally shot. You know, they're all on CF cards. It's all digital. But back then we were using mini DV. I guess they were digital too, but we were using those tapes, those little mini mm -hmm. DV tapes and everything. And so I remember going into the editor's room um, and like there was just like hundreds of tapes piled everywhere. It's just not like that anymore. But it feels like a lifetime ago. It was only eight years ago, but it was called 25 Years of Terror and Anchor Bay's recycled it three or four times. As Anchor Bay tends to do. But, <laughs> but that's awesome. And then, but then, so once that, what was the, uh, or did you have an awareness of like a reaction from the fan base to that documentary? Did that immediately then lead to you pursuing some of your other projects? It did, yeah. Um, well, it took, that took three years to make and it shouldn't have. Um, I say that now because... You know, Malik Akkad, who was the son of Mustafa, who took over the company after his dad died, it just was very slow. Like, you know, he, I, I love him to death. You know, he's done a lot for me. But there were just months and months of just dead time from him. Like, we wouldn't hear, like, there'd be three or four months we wouldn't hear from him. And I would assume it was because of what happened with his dad and his sister. They both died on the same day. It was very tragic. Right. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of waiting and waiting and waiting so there was a lot of anticipation, and we were waiting so long that the fans were kind of like, look, is this even going to be worth it at this point? So we were, we were at that stage where we were like, oh, shit, you know, is, it, is, is the wait going to be worth it? Um, but fortunately it was, and um, right after that came out, I wanted to do Friday the 13th because all of a sudden it was like the 30th anniversary of Friday the 13th. So it literally just took one email over to the folks at Anchor Bay to be like, do you want to do Friday the 13th? And they, you know, in less than a month, I had money wired to me. You know, it was like, like do this now. <laughs> and um, it, was, it was that great. And the guy over there, his name was Mark Ward. He's no longer with Anchor Bay, but he was so enthusiastic about it. He, he was great to work with because he let us turn over whatever we wanted. I mean, that's very rare when someone's funding your project to have you have complete creative freedom but i think because they were so happy with 25 years of terror and its success and how we put it together and its scope i mean we interviewed 80 or 90 people for halloween they knew we could deliver they knew exactly what we were going to make and we knew what they wanted it was like there was no question about what we were going to turn over so but they gave us 13 weeks to make it which now I sit here and I pause because it's like to hear if I if someone came to, at me now and said you have 13 weeks to do another documentary with 80 interviewees, I'd fall off my chair because I didn't know how, <laughs> how, how much work that was going to be. But we did it. I mean, we did 80 interviews in 10 days. I mean, it was a nightmare. Um, but uh, we had a great crew working. And so, yeah, immediately it went straight to Friday the 13th. And again, that was another big I think that was even a. Well, I was going to say a bigger release, but um, when that was released, a lot of illegal downloads were happening, and sure. we were um, we felt that um, there there was somehow someone was able to get a statistic about how many copies were being downloaded. I don't know who or how they did it, but it really hurt sales because of that. And so the industry start, started to change around that time. That was two thousand nine, early two thousand nine. So. But yeah, and so, so right off the bat, I had Halloween, I had Friday the 13th, you know, so those weren't too bad to start off with, you know. Now, I remember, I mean, I, I, I've always been more of a Halloween fan than Friday the 13th, but it, over the years, you know, if you're interested in horror, you tend to see just about everything. But um, right. from what I recall, your Friday the 13th one, which was, his name was Jason, that 
if I remember correctly, that got even more uh, like significant feedback and response than even the Halloween one did. It seemed like that really got embraced by Friday the 13th <laughs> fandom, and I remember a lot of coverage of it at the time when that was yeah. coming out. It, that's true, and I think people were expecting it. It was almost like it had to happen because Halloween got that treatment, and then you know it was 30 years, so to let that slip by... I, I think what happened, I think, really was really strange. The um, director of 25 Years of Terror said to me that we created sort of a new genre. new Like, you know, like in horror, there's all these different subgenres. There's the slasher film, the torture porn, the ghost, whatever. So he was like, I think we created a new subgenre of the epic documentary, you know. And, <laughs> and um, you know, it's kind of true. You know, it's like, well, yeah, I guess we kind of did do that. We, we took a milestone year like 25 or 30 or whatever mm -hmm. even like with, eventually with the psycho documentary it was like the 50th you know anniversary of psycho so at those landmarks like it started it starts now to become expected because you know i i don't want to downplay a documentarian but we really were making a huge bonus feature that's kind of really what we were doing was like <laughs> right. we were talking right isn't that kind of what it was like all the actors getting together but it took focus and so it got a standalone re release. And so I remember one time I, I read in one comment on Amazon or something that the person was very upset that the movie Halloween wasn't on 25 Years of Terror. And I think, <laughs> you know, he, he thought he was buying the movie and that's what it was. And I totally understand that. If I looked at the cover, it was like, oh, let me pick up Halloween and you click buy. You really don't read it. But it got me realizing that, oh, yeah, this these this huge bonus feature is really taking center stage. So when Friday the 13th came out, people understood what they were going to get. It was like, oh, we're going to talk to all the Jasons and we're going to talk to all the final girls and, you know, whatever. Plus get like four hours of bonus features of tours of the locations and stuff. So I agree. I would say I didn't set out to create any kind of subgenre or anything. We were just filming and you know and everything but yeah so there was a great anticipation for for that definitely i felt it too this is g2v why hello there my name is dr john h watson most recently of her majesty's service by now, I'm sure you're very aware of my dear friend, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. It may be immodest to me to say, but I believe the stories of our many adventures have been shared far and wide throughout the world, and it does my heart good to see there's still a great interest in them. In fact, the interest is so great that a lady named Tabitha Grace Smith, or Tabs as you may have heard her name shortened to, has decided to do a Kickstarter project for a deck of Sherlock Holmes-based playing cards. The cards are beautifully illustrated by some amazing artists. In addition to the deck, there are also other fantastic odds and ends that you may pick up as a reward for your backing of this project, including an ebook called Why We Love Homes, with contributions by famed Sherlockian Leslie Klinger, Geek Media Mavens Bonnie Burton and Jenna Bush, celebrated sci-fi and fantasy author Stephanie Osborne, and much more. The campaign only runs for 30 days and begins May 22nd, 2014. So, hurry back if you'd like to have Holmes and I always at the ready for a good game of whist or whatever you find people are playing these days. If you'd like to learn more, please visit SherlockHolmesDeck.com. Now, you mentioned the Psycho one, and that seems to me, well, 
I don't, I don't. I certainly don't want to say anything that makes it sound any less for for franchises like Halloween and Friday Thirteenth, which are sprawling franchises. Like Friday Thirteenth is about to have its second reboot in like the in like the last five right. or six years, and Halloween. You know, we don't know what's happening yet, but surely you know Michael Myers will never be gone for long. But when you then move on to do something like Psycho, you're dealing with something that arguably has a certain even higher level cinematically in terms of its respect. I mean, you're talking about Hitchcock. I mean, how you can't even really compare. So was there any difference in approaching that? Did that come along uh, as simply as the Friday 13th? And now you're dealing with the 50th anniversary of a cinematic classic that even goes beyond just horror. Yeah, well, you know, as a side note, each one of these projects, they're not templated like there isn't there isn't like oh now now let's do scream you know each one started in a different way the money was raised in another way the challenges it was if you would think that they'd be very easy we could crank them out but they all have their own sets of challenges but psycho surprisingly was very difficult to sell i was Mm. stunned at how nobody wanted it nobody um and i really didn't you know it wasn't my creative product uh, a guy named rob galuzzo a friend of mine who was making this we were making halloween and all of a sudden he wanted to do psycho so he went off and um i, I mean i love psycho but i had never had an interest in making a psycho documentary um it just you know it, it, it's it just never occurred to me um and then uh rob came to me uh you know and i i knew he was making it and what he was doing was finding actors in his free time actors and writers and stuff and he lived in new york at the time and he was just taking his camera whenever he got a moment and he was interviewing people. So what happened was he started cutting it and about halfway through the process, he came to me and said, Hey, I need a producer because I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea how to sell it. I don't know anything. So I said, all right, I'll sell it for you. You know, I'll, I'll get you across the finish line. You just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and I would see the cuts and everything, but it was really Rob's baby. So I thought, (laughs) It would be easy. I thought Psycho, you know, 50 year anniversary is coming. And I thought, oh, that's that's it'll be easy to sell and we can get it over to Universal and they'll distribute it and all that. Well, that's not what happened. And I was really bummed by it because, yeah, I mean, it's Psycho. You know, like, well, what the hell? Like what you just said, Arnold, made a lot of sense. <laughs> like, oh, the cachet of Psycho and Hitchcock. It made no difference at all. Nobody cared. And again, the, the industry was changing, and I think that had a lot to do with it because in 2006, DVD was huge. You know, like, it was every DVD, like, now is a dinosaur. But mm-hmm. eight years ago, it was still alive and kicking, and it was the thing to do. There was You used to be able to go into a distributor and say, uh, here's the business model. We'll, you know, we'll create this product. We'll put it on DVD. We'll sell this many units. And you can't do that now. That model is gone. Nobody buys DVDs anymore. So, so for for that reason, Psycho we found out was less interesting than Friday the Thirteenth because one thing I forgot to mention about Friday the Thirteenth was a remake was released in 2009, right. which. That's why they gave us a 13-week production schedule is because they wanted to release that DVD when the movie was hitting theaters. The interest in the series was skyrocketing that week, and I got a call from the president of Stars that said to me, you do understand the deliverable date in the contract we signed is carved in stone, and we can't accept it. You know, and I'm shaking on set, like going... Yeah, I understand. I, I read that. I know it's in the contract, but I, I seriously had doubts. I mean, I was like, I don't know if we're going to do this. So it was really scary um, because hmm. if we missed the deliverable date, they, they need like four months. To, you have to deliver it four months for them to 
advertise it, market it, crank out the DVD, get it in stores so that it's available that week. That was the goal. We didn't want to deliver it that week. We wanted to make sure that it was available to buy that week the movie came out. Mm-hmm. Well, for Psycho, there was no movie. There was no tie-in. There were, like Bates Motel wasn't happening. You know, that's that's happening now. So for those reasons, which I, which I don't understand because people seem to look back and they, they think that because Friday the 13th, his name was Jason, came out when the remake came out, people's memories start to get rewritten. They, re- they think that 25 Years of Terror came out when a Halloween movie came out. And it didn't. It just came out on uh, its 25th anniversary. Like, the, the ninth movie came out in the 24th year, and Rob Zombie hadn't remade the series yet. So, But somebody along the way thought, oh, these things come out when there's a new, when there's a new product, a new movie or a TV show or... You tend to think that, yeah. You get used to thinking that, and then you assume that that's what's going to happen. Exactly, yeah. So for Psycho, it wasn't enough to say, "Oh, it's the 50th anniversary." They're like, "End," you know, like what is wow. that coming out? You know, and you're like, "Oh, you know, shit, this is hard." So, fortunately, the Shop Factory um, saw the the whole benefit to this, and and they picked it up, and you know, they they turned into the new Anchor Bay. If you guys, you know, if you're you guys are watching, and you know they they put a lot of love and care into all their horror releases. So they believed in it. It wasn't a great deal, um, but it got our product out there, and Rob was so happy to see you know the product come out and everything. So, but yeah, that that was probably the most challenging to sell in all the ones I've done. Yeah, we I think both Arnold and I have a lot of Shout Factory stuff on our uh, shelves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, did you feel then at that point, with by the time you you now got three things going on at that point, that between the the idea of the um, creating the anniversary themed release and the subgenre and all that, that it seemed now that you were like set on this path? Were you really interested in doing that? Were you looking for other things to do? It just sort of naturally developed into oh, okay, this is what we're going to do now is we're going to continue to explore the horror genre with more with uh, more full-length features, with more productions like that. Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. I mean, it was opening doors uh, that, it, obviously, in that direction. And then, we, you know, we did Scream. Uh, you know about the zombie documentary that I had set out to make, and that's how we met Arnold, and we that's interviewed right. you for that. Right, and so, um, and Hellraiser came up next. Like, that was on the radar. I wanted to do something on Child's Play, but that really not didn't get a lot of momentum. And again, it was one of those projects where there wasn't a lot of interest in it. You know, Halloween's a no-brainer. Friday the 13th's a no-brainer. Nightmare on Elm Street I had my hand in for a while, but then I wasn't a part of that project anymore for a couple of different reasons. And I was happy to let that go because I just, I don't know. I, I, I Like what you said, I wanted to do other things and I didn't want to just, out of obligation, just pick the next big franchise so when that's why i said it's sort of for a couple of reasons yeah i went down that road but it also started to open doors to other projects which i was very excited about and um so yes and no (laughs) well you mentioned the zombie one and i want to dial it back there because that'll explain so so you and i got to know each other um was it now four years ago a little more than that probably uh, when you were working on a zombie documentary, and I, I was out in L.A. for a Doctor Who convention, and we got together to do that. And at the same time that we did that, I remember – at least the, the way I remember it was we, we did the whole interview for the zombie thing. Now, as of now, just to clarify, as of now, that zombie documentary has not been released, right? 
Right, exactly. It it died. It's uh, it's yeah. Uh, and what happened? Yeah, but was, a zombie as a zombie documentary, <laughs> that's not necessarily the end of the story. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But but so the way I remember it is we did that. But then I remember seeing a list on your table or something of fifty movies, and I was like, "What's that?" And there was like, "Oh, this is this other thing." And I was looking at the list, and it was like, "Oh, it's Halloween three. Oh, Reanimator's on there. Oh, Stacy, boy, I could talk about this stuff." And suddenly you were like, "Well, why don't we do that then?" And that turned out to be uh, a documentary that is coming out this year, and we were talking about this off-mic before starting the episode, the title now being The 50 Best Horror Movies You've Never Seen, and I'm in that uh, amid a whole variety of people, and if I remember correctly, PJ Souls narrating the documentary, but how did, that one's a little different because as opposed to some of your other features you were talking about, right. which is very focused on a franchise or a particular identity, this was about featuring a huge scope of movies. And a very different right. approach. So how did that come about? Well, um, it was one project. I, I, I didn't always want to make this documentary. I just got this idea one day that said, oh, there's like, like every year they come out with lists. Every year it's like, you know, and they're always in magazines or they're, you know, it's always the 10 best horror movies or the 20 best horror around Halloween time. And it's always the same movies. And you've got The Exorcist and Halloween and, you know, all the, all the movies we know. But I... Like, for instance, a movie audition, you know, that's a that's a well-made, really kitty, crack, kitty, like, kitty, 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 uh, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that scene, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, all of these lists would be, you know, like, that's a list of, like, the most popular best horror movies of all time. But if you're a diehard horror fan, or you, say you're not a diehard fan, you're just getting into horror, you're going to get tired of seeing those lists. You're going to think, that's it? These are the movies I should see? Well... I used to work in a video store when I was in college. I used to work in an old uh, blockbuster kind of store. It wasn't called Blockbuster. And I went from A to Z in the horror section. I would come home every night and go back. Oh, my God. I mean, there's the movie called The Stuff. I don't know if you guys remember The Stuff. Oh, yeah. Of course. Of course. Like those kinds of movies, you know. um, And, you know, Hell Night and all those movies. And I went from A to Z. So I've known for many, many years, just like you guys, because you're horror fans, obviously, um, that there's so many really great horror movies, but nobody knows about them. But... Critics know about them and fans know about them uh, and they've sure. got, you know, good reviews, but nobody knows about them. So I just got this. I thought, well, hey, let me just start doing some kind of countdown documentary that focuses on these movies to try. The purpose of it is to mobilize people to go find these movies, appreciate them, spend some money on them, you know, go buy the DVD, you know, contribute to, you know, all these like Stuart Gordon. I mean, oh, well. reanimator. Um, Castle Freak is on the list and you know these are mm-hmm. two great films I mean put some money in you know Stuart Gordon's pocket you know like let's go out and buy some of these and so that was kind of the thinking and so at that same time Arnold I w- we were doing I was doing interviews for the zombie documentary but also for Hellraiser we were embarking on a Hellraiser project and so whenever I had people coming in to do interviews um, I think it started with you but I got the idea that said well, hey, you know, you like uh, uh, forgetting his first name, um, Atkins, uh, the a screenwriter for um, in the Hellraiser series. I said, hey, you know, Wishmaster's on this list of the 50 best horror movies you've never seen. And he also wrote Wishmaster. I was like, do you want to give me a few words on how you made Wishmaster and everything? So what happened was sort of like in my not spare time, but on the side, I was amassing mm-hmm. these interviews over time for this countdown. And it kind of lived sort of in the background for a couple of years 
Um, it, as you know, it took a long time for this thing to get finished. Um, so that's, that's basically how that project started. And then when I came to a lull and all this other stuff that I was doing, I, I pulled out all these interviews and realized, well, you know, I need to fill out the interviews. You know, when you're cutting something on, you know, the fun house or burnt offerings and you realize you only have one interviewee, you start calling in other people. And so what happened, that's just really pretty much what happened. I realized I was thin on some of the, some of the movies and I would call in people over the, over the course of four years and they talked about these movies and, really fun ways and that's how that happens it's a two and a half hour documentary it's a long countdown well it's 50 movies <laughs> and you're right it's actually going to be more there's really? a couple things with that yeah it really was and but the problem was is that i could get to maybe 70 really great horror movies but i mean look i mean i'm sure there's more but i could not seriously put a hundred really great movies on the table. I, I, I petered out around like 70, you know, so it was like, <laughs> all right, let's just do 50. And I'm really glad because it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And also it took so long to make, and I didn't want to like release this 10 years later. Like everyone's 10 years younger when they watch themselves in it, you know, like, I'm already, I didn't I, want that. Yeah. I've already seen a clip and think, wow, I look thin. <laughs> 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 don't we all yeah. well then you'll well, just look- keep watching it like most people most people hate what they look like which is i've learned as a documentarian to never send anyone a clip a sample clip of their interview they just gave you like an hour ago because like you know like if, if i say oh the interview went great thanks a lot here's a screen grab or here's a 30 second clip it, everyone hates it everyone goes oh my god i look horrible and of course they look fine but in their mind it's you know it's awful but i think when they see this finally they'll go oh my god i was so young look at my hair you know i'm a sinner so i'm actually kind of interested in that reaction that i'm gonna get so i know one of the first times i i, I came across the fact that it was uh popping up again was we've been doing so much stuff for these shows on twitter and um was talking to some guys um, that work for, well, Fearnet's going away, but uh, work for Fearnet and a variety of other things. And uh, somebody saw the shock till you drop uh, news item about this coming out. Right. And they were all talking amongst themselves because apparently it's a lot of like LA based writers and, and horror related people. And they were saying something about, is, is, is anybody on Twitter right now in this that's not from the LA area? <laughs> and I saw that and I tweeted, it's like, yeah, there's at least one person I know of that's not. It's about from 3,000 miles away. So, yeah. This is G2V. Two longtime fans of two bionic shows discuss an episode in detail every two weeks. Cyborgs, a bionic podcast. Find us at chronicrift.com slash cyborgs or subscribe on iTunes. Of all the people that you've met doing all these, is there any any of them that stand out particularly either well, I, I would say good or bad, but usually we don't like to speak ill of any anyone. But uh, anything right. that leaps out well, at a, you? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, like, um, yeah, like when we did the Scream documentary, you know, uh, it was called the Ultimate Scary Movie Retrospective because the original title, of The Scream, was Scary Movie. So, um, you know, like, like 
these are really busy people like David Arquette, Jamie Kennedy. These are still working, very like working professionals that, that are still relevant, you know. And so, and then you have like people from Friday the Thirteenth though that made those movies so long ago, and they're not in the business anymore. And you know, they're just happy to be called to say, hey, can you talk about like I, I always bring up. Um, I'm forgetting her last name, but her name was Bonnie, and she played the girl, one of the girls. Remember, she's the banana girl in the Friday the 13th series where she smushes the banana as Jason slices oh. her throat. Okay. Um, like, um, you know, she was like, you want to interview me? I was in the movie for 20 seconds, you know, like, you really want to <laughs> And she came in, and she was a blast, and, you know, but, you know, but, like, I think if you're still working, it's more like a nuisance to them. And, like, David Arquette, I'm not saying anything negative about David Arquette. I mean, he was... He was fantastic. He loved talking to us and everything. But I, I saw that there's a difference. If you're still a busy working professional, sometimes we can get annoying, you know. And it's like, mm. <laughs> um, but I, I would have to say my the person that I've grown the closest to is PJ Soul. She's become a really good friend. She is a true, lo- lovable, honest, it, with integrity. Uh, she 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 loves her fans. Um, I actually sat with her right next to her at the 35th. Halloween convention. I mean, what happened after I put on my event was every five years now they're putting on, you know, the 30th anniversary convention. You know, the sure. 30th, well, the 35th anniversary. And um, I was there as sitting next to PJ as like sort of her personal guest of honor, you know. And I saw people from 10 years ago who came to my event and I'm like, can you believe we're here? You know, like 10 years ago, this little thing that we had in mind turned into this, you know, 10 years later we're doing it. And I watched her hug fan after fan after fan and take pictures and she she just knows how important it is to them to meet her mm-hmm. and and I, you know and we're friends and I you know we've we've had dinners together and uh, her uh, her daughter and new son-in-law are musicians and we've done some music videos together and she's just a wonderful person so I would say of everyone that I've met she's the one I've gotten closest to and um, oh totally yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> somebody had to you say it come on Call her. I'll call her, and you guys should get her on your show. I'm sure she'd love oh, to talk. Oh, that would be great. Oh, we'd love yeah. to. Absolutely, we'd love to talk to her, sure. I'll let her know. And and looking from the other side, then, you're talking about people that you've gotten to know who were a part of all of it. So these things ultimately are aimed at, appreciated by the fan base of horror in general, of all these franchises. And having run the conventions, like being at the one that you just were talking about with her meeting all her fans, what's it been like meeting people from that perspective? You started as a fan who created his own website just to showcase your Halloween collection. What's it now been having done these productions and meeting fans at conventions and seeing people there, they embrace in the same way that you did back then? Yeah, well, you know, I, at some point I call it like I hopped the fence. You know, I went from fan to producer, you know, or or content creator or whatever. Um, and and I think it, it's rare for a, a fan to do that. I think in a series um, that they especially love, you know. And I was invited a couple of years ago to the Chiller convention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I was invi- I was invited there to be a guest, and I remember thinking like. You want me to be a guest? Like, no, I can't do that. That's not, me. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I just feel like no one wants to meet me. They want to, you know, they want to buy my documentary, but why me? And so it's the only one that I've done outside of the 35th. I've been invited to other conventions, but I don't go because I'm just not that person. I don't want to sit there and 
sign. <laughs> if I was PJ Souls, well, yeah. If I, I mean, I get why she's doing it. I mean, people, you know, but my thinking is that no one really wants to meet me. Um, but the funny thing is, is that I do have people coming to me when I'm at these events. Just even if I'm there walking around, people come up and go, I love your documentaries and everything. So it's nice. It's nice to be um, a part of it all, you know, and I kind of like to lurk in the background. I'm just one of those people. I'm not a, I'm not out there in the front and I don't think I should be. So. Just waiting in the shadows like the shape until the key light finds you and then... <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Now, what other things do you have going on now? Are there things that you're working on right now that you can talk about anyway that are going on right now that, well, you're, think, that you're pursuing? I can't talk about. One thing I can't talk about, but the other thing I, can, I think I can. I, another project that I had started to put in motion back in 2007 or 2008 was a product called Prank, which was, um, I don't even know if you remember it, but it was, it had a little buzz there for a little while. But it basically, I personally think there isn't, there aren't enough female directors in the horror genre. I mean, there aren't enough female directors, period, or even in the film industry. But um, I got this idea to create a series uh, or back then it was a movie. Now it's a TV series. I'm developing a series of uh, like an anthology that's directed by screen queens. Um, so it's ah. directed by PJ Souls and Adrian King, and you know, like people like Nev Campbell would be awesome to get. You know, I don't have Nev on board, but the idea is to create these uh, sort of a masters of horror, but make them shorter, um, and also put these ladies of horror that love the genre and have been in all these movies, put them behind the camera, telling stories, you know, directing stories. And um, back then it was called Prank. Now it's called Blood Sisters. And um, back then when I was trying to sell it, I was getting the following comments from networks. Primetime horror is, is never going to happen. It's, you know, <laughs> it's not right. So, I, you know, and I started to believe it. I started saying, you know, yeah, you're right. You know, they don't have they don't have horror on TV now, you know, and, and now if you look at it, it's ridiculous. The following Bates Motel, American Horror Story, Salem, blah, blah, blah. The list goes on and on. So I've resurrected. I have a new business partner, my friend Lottie. She's amazing. She made a new horror movie called Chastity Bites that is really awesome. Yes. She's, yes. Her, yeah. For that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun horror movie. Very funny, too. Very smart. Um, she also produced a couple documentaries one of them actually won an Emmy. It, it was on Vito Russo's life. Um, she also did one on Divine. Um, so she's, she's, and I love her. And so I found the right business partner. She understands, you know, like this vision of like women in horror. So we just started to go out with that. And we're very excited about it because we think it can get some traction now because timing is sort of everything in the industry. So, sure. so we're just going out with that. And I'm also doing some projects that are not horror related, uh, but they're magic related. Years ago, in another life, I was a professional magician, and I did magic for colleges exclusively for a long time, and then I gave it up for 12 years, and in that 12 years, I did all these documentaries. Well, I'm sort of back in magic, but not really as a performer, but I'm a producer in magic, so I'm producing a lot of magic shows and um, recorded content, dig digital content and DVD and stuff like that for magicians. And I spend a lot of time at the Magic Castle in Hollywood. And oh, yeah. so doing a lot of producing in another love of mine, you know, so there's horror movies. I've done stuff with that. And now I'm doing some I'm still doing horror, but I'm also added this magic kind of component to it. 
So yeah, I'm busy and I love what I do and, and I'm lucky. I feel like I'm very lucky to be able to do what I love to do. I have a lot of friends out here that are struggling because it's hard to make a living here. It really, really is. <laughs> and so, um, so I feel very fortunate. Well, I did, I did my, uh, I did my stint. I did 18 years in LA. Uh, really? so I know how it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I moved up to Portland that. at the end of 2010, actually just to, uh, for my sanity, I think more than anything else. But uh, yeah, I was a writer producer with Warner Brothers for about 10 years. And then I worked with Disney and a few other companies, but, uh, and I have a special effects background as well. So yeah, so Scott, you dabbled in business. <laughs> a little dabbling, more, yeah. more than dabbled, but yeah, <laughs> more, than dabbled. more than dabbling. But uh, you know, you mentioned the magic thing and that was just also something that's interesting is one of the things that's a recurring theme whenever on the show or off, whenever Scott and I are going to talk about being fans, it's fascinating how when you're a fan of one thing, you tend to find out that you appreciate a lot of the same things. And mm -hmm. magic may not have been something where I know that some kids grow up like they're trying card tricks. So I, w I certainly went through that period of time, I remember as a kid, where getting every magic book out of the library was important. Alongside getting any book about old Universal horror movies, I was getting books out about every card trick. When we went to Walt Disney World, the main store that I loved most on Main Street was the magic shop. And, and here's the interesting connection. It was in the magic shop at Walt Disney World that I bought my first Michael Myers mask also. <laughs> so it all connects. Wow. But, I, but I remember growing up seeing like, you know, the Doug Henning specials, David Copperfield. It was part of the culture then oh, yeah. in a way that it's like gone in cycles. But and then, of course, there's another horror connection because Copperfield shows up in Terror Train. So. It all, it, exactly. all, it all comes back in one way or another. I was, was going to make another comment and another connection, too, of course. Mickey Mouse and Michael Myers have the same initials. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why the mask is there. That's, there you go. That's it. That's it. I got the Ooh, I got the cup and ball I got the cup and balls trick and I got the uh, the mark deck and I got the Michael Myers mask. <laughs> so evidently, my plan was instead of stalking babysitters, I would distract them with close magic. Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Thing with with magic is um, uh, I, I I shot a segment in my house, which you were at actually, Arnold. I shot yep. a segment in my house of, of a magician. And she had brought some friends over, and um, I forgot who. It, oh, Derek. So her friends, this this younger guy, she brings over. He's just kind of sitting there, and he's looking around my office. And there's pictures of you know all my projects on the wall. There's like you know his name is Jason. Friday Thirteenth, um, Twenty Five Years of Terror. So he looks me up on IMDb, and then. Afterwards, he comes over to me and says, oh, my God, because he's a magician, too. And he goes, I love 25 Years of Terror. I love his name is Jason, you know. And, uh, yeah, so there, kind of what you said was, you know, here's this magician who's also mm -hmm. a horror fan. And I've met a bunch of them. You know, I've met a whole bunch of them that uh, I see at the horror, uh, like horror conventions there at the Magic Castle, you know. And it's, I don't know what it is. I, I think it's. I don't know, maybe horror movies are magic tricks in their own way. You know, they're so extraordinary. I mean, a good magic trick creates a sense of wonder and it's awe-inspiring and you, you feel like, wow, anything is possible. Well, that's kind of how I think horror movies are. They're, they're so over the top. They're so crazy. They create a sense of wonderment in their own way. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's what the connection is. I don't I know. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful way of putting it. I think it's also the case that both deal with sleight of hand, both deal with misdirection. And the fact yeah. that the shock and surprise is part of what drives both of them in slightly different ways. But right. it's about taking an audience on a journey and 
letting them completely buy into something so that when the surprise comes, they're unprepared and can get totally uh, it washes over them. And they both yeah. work that way. I, I, yeah, and you know, like for instance, you know the magician's fooling you. You know the you know they say the hands are quicker than the eye or whatever. You know that. You know all of that. I think the same thing happens with a mo- with a monster movie. You know, what I mean, like the new Godzilla movie that's coming out. I mean, I can't wait to see that movie. I know mm-hmm. Godzilla's not real, but I know I'm going to be in for a ride. You know, I think that's what it is. It's we know it's all special effects. We know it's all lighting. You know, the thing about like Michael Myers is, you know, in our documentary, we talk about he's not Jaws. He's not a shark. He is a cinematic creation. I mean, we say like Michael Myers in the wrong lighting, like put Michael Myers on an on a brightly lit Caribbean island, he's not so <laughs> scary anymore. You know? But he's lurking in the shadows, it's lighting, it's that it's the way the light hits the folds in the mask, you know. Um, it's the music, it's it's all of those things put together. So I think that maybe the same thing with a magic trick is you know it's all coming together somehow and you know it's not real, but the payoff is there, you know, and that's what you're there for. Now I can't shake the image of Michael Myers with a Mai Tai on the beach. <laughs> he needs a Hawaiian Surfing. shirt, too. The shirt, But the Hawaiian shirt would have to actually be over the overalls. He would actually have to put that. Oh, I think that just oh ruined God. the franchise. <laughs> well, Scott, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up to or? No, no. It sounds like we touch base on pretty much everything. It's uh, it's it's you got some great projects that uh, that I know. I, I've actually I have seen uh, the Halloween and the Jason one, um, and I think I'm trying to remember if I if I may have actually seen you at uh, Dark Delicacies at one point uh, when I lived down there. I don't know if did you do happen to do a signing perhaps yeah, down well, the you line. Know, we did the Halloween signing um, at the time. It was their biggest signing, and they, I remember people right. lining up and like again. That's like when people came to get the DVD. You know, it was like they had to get their hands on it. And it, that was a really, really fun night. Then when we did Friday the 13th, the signing was so big that they, the guys that um, Dell and Sue that own yeah. Dark Dells, they have another comic shop across the street. It's like a comic and gaming kind of – they have some apparel. So it's kind of across the street, like diagonally like a block away or whatever. Yeah. So we uh, Emerald Knights, right? I think. Emerald Knights, yeah, that's it. And the signing was so big that they, they had to use both venues so people would come on in pick up the dvd go around the room we'd all sign it and then they'd have to walk a block away and go to emerald nights so that was their biggest signing to date but yeah if you were around here during that time when did you move uh well right at the end of 2010 oh yeah so that would have been that probably would have been that time so we yeah we did two signings there for halloween and friday the 13th so if you came to one of those then i was there (laughs) (laughs) very cool well, thank you so much for taking all the time to talk about everything, too. It was great meeting you back then and doing the things that we did together. I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, even if I wasn't involved at all, I'd still be looking forward to seeing the 50 Best R movies, and that's going to be coming up soon. And obviously, we'll uh, we'll certainly be helping to let people know when and where and all that when, when details start coming out. But it was just yeah. a great opportunity for us to touch base again to talk about everything you've been working on. And Blood Sisters also sounds like a really exciting project. So hopefully we'll be hearing a lot more about that in the near future, too. Now that horror on primetime television is no longer a question mark anymore, <laughs> things should be better. Yeah, exactly. And listen, guys, I really appreciate it. It's nice It's nice to have people ask you about what you've done, you know, because I'm a look-ahead kind of guy. I'm always, like, moving forward and what's my next thing and whatever. So it's nice to sit back and look back and go, yeah, it's kind of fun to do all that stuff. So, <laughs> so. 
Thank you very, very much. Well, it was great having you on. Yeah, thank you so much, Anthony. And thanks for listening to the G2V podcast, now part of the Chronic Rift Network at chronicrift.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and please rate us while you're there. Visit our website at g2vpodcast.com. Join our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter at g2vpodcast. And if you have any comments or questions, send them our way via contact at g2vpodcast.com. Our show music is by Brian Boyko and Frank Nora. <laughs>